We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Hey, we wound up 5-11. and 11. Not very good. Uh, but there was some worse than us. I guess that's one positive way to look at it. We weren't the worst team in the league. Why Steve Spurrier uh, to open the show 5-11? and 11, Not too good? Uh, well, because... Steve Spurrier is going to be on the show today. I'm going to keep this first segment really short, and then you'll hear my conversation with Steve Spurrier coming up after Spurrier. John Keim will be on the show. Uh, this show today is presented by Window Nation. Go to windownation.com or call them at 866-90-NATION. You can get five years of interest-free financing on your purchase right now. You're not going to pay any interest until the year 2028. Plus, buy two, get two free, so you're paying half price on the windows already. Call them at 866-90-NATION. Go to windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate. I promise you, you won't work with a better company that's got a better product for a better deal They are terrific to work with. I've worked with them for now 14 years. And all of the experiences from just about everybody that's ever had any experience with Window Nation swears by them. I do too. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and mention my name. There is some news on the ownership front. It comes from Teddy Scheifler. Remember we had Teddy Scheifler on the show last Friday. Teddy Scheifler's prediction last Friday, and he was a great guest, was that Bezos was still hovering. Uh, And his prediction when I asked him to make a prediction was, hey, you know, I'll go for it here. I'll predict that Jeff Bezos ends up getting the team. Well, Teddy Scheifler, who writes for Puck News, just tweeted out, Jeff Bezos is not in the bidding process for the Washington Commanders and is not currently planning to make a bid for the team, a source with direct knowledge tells at Teddy Scheifler. So there you go. According to Teddy Scheifler at Puck News, Bezos is out. Uh, This is not um, surprising news for people like me who have been predicting Josh Harris all along. Uh, I am still on Josh Harris. I have told you sooner rather than later for three weeks now, and I've been wrong about that, but let me just emphasize right now, 
I not only think it's sooner rather than later that we get uh, an announcement about the Josh Harris bid being the winning bid, I think it comes much sooner rather than later. I think we are nearing the announcement of this, uh, boys and girls. And with that, I want to read uh, this um, this tweet that I got, which I thought was interesting. It came from John. It was actually an email, excuse me. Uh, John emailed us uh, at show.com where you can email us. Um, also, please don't forget to rate us and review us on Apple and Spotify and follow us on both of those platforms, too. You can click the follow button on the Apple uh, podcast app in the upper right-hand corner. And for Spotify, it's down the left side, about midway down the left side. But John emailed me the following. Kevin, you brought up a very interesting point with Phillips from Richmond yesterday, and he was referring to Michael Phillips Phillips from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, who was on the radio show with me yesterday. And he said... You said that we may have reached the point where when the news on the sale of the team comes, it will feel anticlimactic. You summed up the way I feel perfectly. I almost wonder if it's Snyder's plan to wear us down on the sale as much as he's worn us down over the years on everything else. It's actually to his benefit that the reaction be subdued more than it would have been if it had been done faster. The celebration parade idea may be less appealing now, just a thought. Thank you, John. Uh, By the way, on your last point, you know, sort of suggesting that Snyder had a plan to wear us down, you know, over the last four or five months before, you know, making the announcement on the sale, um, that would have required, you know, some foresight, some strategy, some thinking a few steps ahead. And he hasn't really shown that kind of aptitude over the time that he's been the owner. His reactions are much more impulsive than they are kind of well thought out. So I don't think that's the reason that this has taken that long. But to your first point, which is, you know, what I had mentioned to Michael Phillips yesterday, and for those of you that didn't hear it, it was on the radio show, and I'll just summarize it. I just said to Michael at one point, and he was talking about, you know, his current thoughts on the sale process and where we were and all of the reporting and the back and forth. And I said, you know, I think when we finally get the news, it's going to feel somewhat anticlimactic. It's going to feel like the real news was when we heard that Bank of America had been retained by the Snyders to explore the possibility of a sale. And I just feel like, you know, five months later, right, five months later, roughly, we're sitting here and when we get the news, if it's in the next few days um, or if it's beyond that, uh, it's going to feel, you know, not as exciting. I, I That's the way I feel. I don't know if everybody else feels that way. But, you know, I think what it is, is it's like we've become numb um, to all that has surrounded this organization in recent years, like we've become almost desensitized, you know, all of the shenanigans, you know, the, the investigations, the lawsuits, the oversight and reform committee things, the, uh, you know, all of this stuff, this would be shocking. All of these news reports and all of these investigations, et cetera, that we've gotten for really now coming up on three years This would be, you know, big news in most NFL cities, but it's now mundane here. 
You know, it's run of the mill here. Like the other day, the news that they had settled the lawsuit with DC for $650,000 for ripping off customers with their deposits. That was like something that even, that was like blah. It was like, it barely registered here. And, and I think that's the point John is making and why I felt the way I felt when I said what I said to Michael Phillips yesterday about, you know, when we get the news at this point, it's going to feel sort of, you know, anticlimactic. You know, the damage, as Tommy said and has said, the damage that's been done to this fan base, you know, is measurable in things like attendance and television ratings locally, et cetera. But I think that the psychological damage isn't quantifiable. And we're not going to know what that means until the team is sold because there is an expectation that all things will be repaired when Dan leaves. And I do believe that that would have been been true like five or six years ago. You know, I think the last three to five years, there have been people in this fan base that are no longer really fans or like in my case are less passionate about the team, um, but interested that you know, it's not just about Dan leaving anymore. For so long, that's <clears throat> that's what it was all about. I know out there, they believe that once Dan is gone, they believe the floodgates, the revenue floodgates will open up. I think we won't know, as Tommy said, <clears throat> what the real overall damage is until he sells the team. And I think that the recovery from what he's done to this organization over a quarter of a century um, is perhaps going to be a little bit more difficult than maybe we all think. I think there's going to be a jump, no, no doubt. I think there's going to be a jolt when this becomes finalized. And I think it, there's going to be a revenue jolt. I think they're going to be more season ticket packages sold. I think they're going to have more corporate sponsors. But I don't know that we're going to have you know a 90,000-seat stadium that we can fill with a waiting list. I think a lot of the people that left and got worn down and just insulted too many times. And you combine that with everything in the last couple of years, including the loss of the name. I think many of those people found something else to do. We'll see. But John, um, yeah, I, I, you know, by the way, I think kind of the celebration parade would be distasteful. I know I've said that before. I think, you know, I wouldn't kick a guy while he's down. I would just let this happen, let it go, let him move on, and let's, you know, get a fresh start with a new owner and understand going in that it'll feel great and that, you know, it couldn't be worse and uh and then focus on hopefully finally, you know, somebody who will come in here and give him a chance from a top level down standpoint. Hey, one other thing real quickly before we get to Spurrier uh, because I saw this reported, um, and I am excited uh, about this. Uh, and that is, it's being reported that Hunter Dickinson is going to visit Maryland this weekend. A Georgetown visit is also scheduled. Hunter Dickinson, the number one guy in the transfer portal. If he comes to Maryland and they've got Dickinson, Juju Reese, Dante Scott is back, Jameer Young is back, Deshaun Harris-Smith, the other recruits that are coming in that are top 15 recruit class, you know, guys that were on this team last year, Ian Martinez, a few others, they'll be preseason top 10. 
they still, you know, could get another transfer if it's not Dickinson that could really elevate them from where they are right now, which is kind of borderline top 20-ish for next year. Uh, but um, I don't know. Scott told us uh, on the show last week that Dickinson, it's about money, and I don't know that Maryland can afford Hunter Dickinson. We shall see. Up next, Steve Spurrier. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, You'll hear it right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, joining me now, and I have to tell you, this is my pleasure, um, is the old ball coach, Steve Spurrier, who, you know, here in Washington, we got two years of Steve Spurrier, but coach, I've been a fan from afar for a long time, going back to the Florida years, going back to the Duke years, when you actually coached one of my high school basketball teammates, Anthony Dilwig, uh, at Duke. Um, way back in, in the late 80s. And uh, I've been following your career for, for so long, and it's a pleasure to have you on. First of all, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine, Kevin. I'm down here in Gainesville, Florida. I've got a title called Ambassador to the University of Florida, and it's a pretty good gig if you can get it. <laughs> I sort of come and go. Got an office down at the stadium, and uh you know, try to promote uh, athletics as well as uh, the academic uh, part also. So uh, doing that, now we opened a restaurant down here. It's doing very well. It's called Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. So uh, I, I'm staying actually pretty busy, I guess. Well, that's good. Uh, you are in town for the Touchdown Club uh, Awards Dinner uh, tomorrow night. Well, you will be honored, Dexter Manley, uh, my best friend Scott Van Pelt, Terry McLaurin, a lot of people. By the way, um, this is an event where you can still get tickets for tomorrow night uh, in Bethesda. Just go to dctouchdownclub.com. Uh, um, you mentioned you know it's a pretty good gig if you can get it. I would imagine that includes includes a lot of golf rounds. Uh, how are you playing these days? You know, I don't play near the way I used to. Uh, the guys I play with, we play from way up. So <laughs> if I'm hitting the ball decent, I can make uh, I can make a bunch of pars and occasionally a birdie or so. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't quite play like I used to. But, yeah, I'm still playing. And uh, 
still trying to do my annual little golf tournaments. They have one out at Pebble Beach called the Coaches Classic. A college coach brings uh, three friends with him, and they have a handicap and uh, a low gross of two parts of the tournament. So our team's won it several times, but not anymore. I, I bring my two sons out and a guy now that uh, we're out there for the camaraderie, I think, mostly. Yeah, well, that that's most – the company uh, in your foursome is as important as the golf itself. You know, I was curious, what's your most memorable round at Augusta since we just finished up Masters Week? Somebody is asking me that today. The first time I ever played it was back in 1978. I was actually at Georgia Tech, and Pepper Rogers came in the uh, uh, coach's meeting room and said, how many of you guys want to play Augusta? And, of course, about eight or nine of us raised our hands. Uh, we had guys, uh, you know, like the offensive line coach, playing Augusta in tennis shoes. I mean, these guys didn't even play golf, <laughs> but the opportunity to play there. So uh, there was a bunch of Georgia Tech members, or they got some members to play, you know, with the coach. You, you have to play with a member. So uh, somehow or another, I scraped around the 78 there. Wow. And uh, all the other times I played, it was, I think I had 179 one time, but after that it was 80s or, or worse. Is there somebody that comes to mind as, like, the most memorable person that you ever played around to golf with? Oh, I don't have a particular favorite. Uh, I've played a lot of golf uh, with my son, Steve Jr. Uh, he coached with me uh, really at Florida and South Carolina all those years. And he was up there uh, my two years with Washington. And by the way, Kevin, uh, you know, I've coached three pro teams. A lot of people look at me and say, man, you weren't worth a damn in the pros, were you? I said, well, wait a minute now. You, you ever heard of the Tampa Bay Bandits? <laughs> We were 35 and 19, right. and then the spring league, the Orlando Apollos, only lasted eight games. Uh, but we were seven and one, and we were leading uh, the league when it folded up. So anyway, uh, only one of the three did I not do very well, and uh, there's a lot of reason, I, a lot of reasons for it. But it's, it's the only head job I've ever had where I was not actually in charge of the team. So, uh, but I didn't do a very good job either. So it was time to get out of there. Well, I think many of us probably have a, a pretty good idea of why it didn't work out yeah. uh, here real well. Before we get to that, I was curious, like, what would NIL and the transfer portal be like for you right now if you were still coaching in college? It would be absolutely no fun, but you got to jump in there to compete. So uh, all these schools are setting up some kind of collectibles or some kind right. of... Uh, we opened one up down here called Gator Victorious, <laughs> and uh, our football team's gone six and seven the last two years. I don't know if you know that, Kevin, but that's uh, yeah. Uh, Florida Gators used to be up there fighting for SEC championships most years, so uh, we've we've got a ways to go to get back uh, to the top of uh, college football, and uh, I guess you got to get in there and start passing out money. Uh, now, a lot of schools have passed out a bunch of money and not done very well. Texas A&M and Miami come to mind. Uh, but obviously, I think, did very well. And uh, the other schools that are passing out a lot of money seem to do very well. 
Yeah, and you wonder, you know, with all of that money being passed around, especially when players take the money and then a year later they transfer, and it's, you know, that's not the best investment how long uh, this will last. By the way, mm-hmm. speaking of yeah. the Gators, you know, the draft is is three weeks uh, away. What do you think of Anthony Richardson as a quarterback prospect? Yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day. He was talking about who would you love to have coached, and I said, I would have love to have coached Anthony Richardson. And, uh, I mean, he is a talented player. We all know that. And yet the last two years here in Florida, we've gone six and seven. So the victories have not uh, equaled out to his talent for whatever reason. But uh, he can oh, he can make all the throws. He can run. He, he can do it all. So if they've got a real good offensive quarterback, coach, coordinator, wherever he goes – uh, maybe they can g- get uh, that talent out of Anthony. I think he's going to be a, a high first-round pick, so it's going to be interesting to see how it all works out. So uh, do, do people call you, Coach? Do they call you about an Anthony Richardson knowing how close you are to the Florida situation? Do you get calls from NFL GMs, scouts, etc.? Oh, no, no. Not anymore. I'm not that close. <laughs> I'm not that close. I I sit up in the athletic director's box and watch the games, and that's about it. But no, I, I have no influence on Florida football or really any of the sports. I just, I just try to be a, a good supporter and uh, do whatever I can to say good things about the Gator athletics. All right. So let's talk a little bit about your time in Washington because, you know, over the years, we've talked a lot about you. They, they were too, believe it or not, even though the results were, you know, uh, in, in 2002, 7 and 9, and then your famous line after the 2003 season, 5 and 11, not too good, which is one of these quotes from you that we've played over the years. A lot of your quotes, you know that. You, you get quoted so many times in, in all of the different places you've played. But let's talk about the two years here. Do you regret that this was the NFL job that you took? Oh, uh, well, the way I look at it, uh, by taking that one, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four years later, I got the South Carolina job, okay? So if I'd, if I'd have gone somewhere else, uh, I don't know how it would have turned out, but uh, uh, I, I don't want to try to make a whole bunch of excuses, uh, but uh Obviously, I thought we were going to get a general manager and a guy I could work with and this, that, and the other, but all of that didn't work out. And uh, when I couldn't choose the quarterbacks the second year, I knew my butt needed to get out of there. So that's that's about all I need to say. Was the general manager that Dan had promised, was that Bobby Bethard? Bobby Bethard's name was brought up. You're exactly right. And uh, I said, I thought it was going to happen, but it it just it didn't happen after I signed on. Right. Um, yeah. So you get here in two thousand two. What do you remember about like when you got here? You know, we we can the the quarterback stuff in in year two. I remember some of my memories are Osaka is definitely a memory for me. But I remember you were bringing in a lot of your college players from Florida. If you had to do it over again here. You know, would you have relied so much on some of those ex-Gators? Well, I felt like they were just as good a player, knew our system as uh, the ones we had here. So uh, I guess it was sort of natural to do that. But it probably overall was not a good idea to have that many. 
so they didn't last very all of them didn't last very long i can assure <laughs> you that because i wasn't in charge of the cuts either so uh i'm good buddies with all those guys now <laughs> yeah i'm i'm sure you are uh, but that's, I, uh, that's okay that's uh you know I, I i didn't do a very good job and i'm not trying to make any excuses but uh, it gave me an opportunity to go to south carolina a place that had not had much success and and we had some some good years. I wish we'd won one SEC title, but uh, we we did not do that. But uh, we had you know three lead win seasons, so we we did some good things there. Oh, you had some incredible seasons at South Carolina. I mean, there was that yeah. that stretch of 2011 through 2013 where you won 33 some odd games, and you were in contention in 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 the SEC. Uh, in the SEC East, and and those teams, I got to tell you, were a lot of fun to watch. And I don't know, you know, if you understand this, but I think a lot of us here not only followed you, you know, after you left in your career in South Carolina, but were rooting like hell for you. Um, and I, 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 I don't, I, I don't know if you understand that you, you had, you had a lot of fans here, and a lot of us understood why it didn't work out for you and basically everybody else that has been here as a head coach. Um, do, do you have that sense that you that you made um, that you actually created a lot of fans in in your two well, you know, like, years here? Uh, as I travel, as I travel around, they they've always been pretty nice to me. The Washington fans that when I run across some here, there, and the other, yeah. They, yeah, they're fine. There was no issue with coaching the fans. I don't think. No, and, and so the issue was with Dan. And I, I want to ask this specific question: How quickly after you got here did you realize that his involvement would be a problem? Uh well, Kevin, I don't want to get into all that. Like, like I said, you know, I thought Bobby Bethard was going to be here, but for whatever reason, he never showed up, and. uh so that uh, uh, that's the way it turned out, and uh, and everybody knows that uh, Dan Snyder was the general manager, and uh, you know he wanted to be very active, and so he was, and I don't know, it just didn't work out. I didn't do a very good job either, though. So blame me. I'll take all the blame. No, and I, and I think everybody appreciates that and, and, and hears you when you're saying that. And, and at the same time, you know, here we are on the verge here in D.C. of a dream kind of coming true for those of us that grew up and rooted for, you know, the Redskins, you know, and, and the Joe Gibbs glory years and, you know, trying to recapture that, you know, so many times and it's never worked. You're, I'm sure, very familiar that Dan's on the verge, we believe, of selling the team. Did you ever think we would see that day? Well, I don't think it was his decision, was it? Uh, I, I don't. I don't know if the uh, Rose, uh, if the uh, commissioner or the other owners have told him to do it. Maybe they've hinted at it, but I, I don't know all the details. But uh, it seems like. That's what uh, the league wants to happen, it appears. Look, I, I sense your reluctance, and I understand that, and I totally respect that, that, that you don't want to go down the, the, yeah, the, the path of, of discussing that. Yeah. So, so let me, yeah. Ask, yeah, let me yeah. ask you this. What are your good memories from Washington? Oh, let's see. Yeah, we, you know, we won some games there early. Uh, in fact, uh, we went to Tokyo, or not Tokyo, but what was that Os- other Osaka. Osaka in the preseason. Osaka. Yeah, won that preseason game. And uh, uh, 
Mooch, uh, Mary Uchi, uh, the coach there, he said it's the first time he'd ever had an uh, exhibition preseason game that the other team ran the score up on him. <laughs> we we uh, we were at thirty-one to seven with about oh a minute and a half left, and we had fourth and one at about oh they're thirty or so. And one of the assistant coaches said, "Coach, go ahead and throw it in the end zone." I said, "Oh, we don't. You sure?" I said, "Okay, throw the damn thing in the end zone." So I think uh, our quarterback went back through another touchdown pass. Uh, with about a minute left, so Mooch wasn't real happy about it. But he, uh, they beat us during the regular season. Right. They played their varsity the whole game in the regular season. Uh, they didn't play their varsity in that uh, preseason game. You know, this is a very legendary game for us over the years in discussing it because. You know, we thought, here we go. It's the fun and gun. Yeah. And you're rolling up 38 and 400 yards of offense in a preseason game. I am curious because you had played in the NFL, obviously, um, and you had coached in, in the USFL. Did you, did, you, did you think that what happened in the first preseason of the game was actually something that was translatable to the regular season? Were you confident after that game? Well... Well, we we thought we would do all right, but we also understood that the other teams, they don't play their starting defensive linemen very much, or even many of their starting defensive guys. So uh, our free agent guys and our young guys, uh, we could play against the other team's free agents and young guys. We, we had a system that was pretty easy to put in uh, within two or three weeks there. But when the... The big guys came on, and uh, it was it was hard to block those big guys. So it was a little bit different story, obviously. Yeah. Um, the next season, yeah. by the way, 2003, you guys won that Thursday night NFL opener against the Jets, um, you know, on a field goal, you know, a late field goal by John Hall, who kicked you guys to a victory. Then you beat Atlanta. And then I'll never forget this, and I, w- I wonder what your memories are of it. We had basically one of the worst kind of remnants of a hurricane storm that came through here uh, the week leading up to the Giants game, and you guys lost a game in which I think it was hard to prepare for. You know, that week you lost to the Giants in overtime, but you beat the, the Patriots the following week. You had a chance to start 4-1. and one. You started 3-1 and one that year. Do you, what do you remember about that start? And by the way, that week of kind of that hurricane remnant uh, and then the win over Belichick. Yeah, I uh, every now and then I tell people I'm one and zero against Belichick. Now they <laughs> tell me he's the greatest of all time. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was an interesting. What was that? A seventeen fourteen or twenty twenty four twenty seventeen? Which one? The Belichick one? Yeah, the Belichick. Yeah, game. you guys beat him twenty yeah. to seventeen. Twenty to seventeen. Yeah. yeah. And we actually uh, Brady uh, came in and played that one, I think, and did not. Uh, we we stopped him with. Uh, they had balls a minute or so left, and uh, uh, somehow or another we stopped them. We stopped them and won that game. So uh, after that, I think they went on that win streak, didn't they? they uh, th- you were the last team to beat them. Uh, they went on and won yeah, that Super Bowl uh, over Carolina that year, and, and your win yeah, over them. Yeah, they, they won the rest of them just yeah. about. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, uh, yeah. So... I again, I, I I understand you're you know you don't want to go down some of the the, no, the negative yeah. sp- spot, but yeah. any other you know positive memories of of those two years in D.C. the players, the 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 area. I know you didn't love the weather here, not when it turned cold, right? 
Yeah, we didn't have any uh, terribly cold games. The coldest were uh, we went up to the New York Giants uh, about the last game of the season. That was a cold one up there, and at Green Bay, that was that was probably thirty degrees. It wasn't real severe, but uh, yeah, we didn't have any. I don't think any real terrible weather games there in DC. Right. Uh, you know, I was looking um, through the two seasons that you were here, and we talked about the Belichick game in 2002. You were the last team to beat New England that year. They went on to win the Super Bowl. The 2003 season, even though it was a 5-11 and season, 12 of the 16 games, Coach, that you coached that year were decided by a touchdown or less. There were so many exciting games that year. Uh, other than you know the Belichick game that we uh, already discussed, you know, was there a game in either one of the two seasons that really was memorable for you? Yeah, we lost our share of the close ones, and uh, in the NFL, you probably win. Got to win, uh, oh, seventy-five percent of your close ones to really have a good record. Uh, we we didn't quite win that high percentage, but uh, anyway, we're looking forward to going to the DC Touchdown Club thing tomorrow night. Uh, they actually honored uh, me and my wife. Back uh, when I was there with Washington, right. they had a, a dinner uh, that they they honored uh, the coach's wife, which was I thought pretty neat. Back in those days, you don't see many of those. <laughs> but anyway, she'll be with me also. That's awesome. And, uh, looking forward to uh, seeing all the guys that are up that way. I, I know that uh, top high school player that uh, signed with South Carolina. What's his name again? Um. Uh, yeah. I, uh, He's going to be honored, right? So uh, yeah, I'm look. I can't think of his name right now either, but uh, looking forward to seeing him there. Heisman Trophy okay. winner, national championship coach, um, and a legend uh, in for, for, for football fans in so many different spots. I appreciate the time. It's good to hear your voice. I hope you're healthy and well, um, and enjoy tomorrow night. Yeah. Okay, Kevin. Good talking with you. All right. See ya. The head ball coach, boys and girls, uh, I love Spurrier. Um, You know, that's the first chance I've ever had to interview Spurrier. I have reached out many times in the past, not in recent years, but when he was – when it was announced that he was going to be honored at the Touchdown Club – we were able to get him, thanks to Steve Beck uh, and thanks to Josh Barr. Uh, Look, I – I get it. He's reluctant to go down the path of talking about his two years here. That's obvious. The Osaka stuff I loved. Um, I had a lot more written down here in terms of trying to get to some of the more detailed stuff uh, from those years, but this wasn't what he wanted to do. Uh, He has moved on from that. Very clear, by the way, on making sure we all understood that the only losing season he's ever had was here, the only blip on his overall resume, and the only pro job in which he ever lost, going back to the Tampa Bay Bandits, where he coached in the 80s in the USFL, and the Orlando, I don't even know what the name of the team, did he say the Apostles, the Orlando Apostles? apostles of whatever league that was. Um, But this was not a great experience for him. And it just sounded like he didn't want to relive much of it. And I understand that and actually respect the fact that, you know, he didn't want to go, you know, scorched earth on Snyder. Not that I was looking for that, uh, but, um, you know, it just uh, seemed like uh, 
as I look at the rest of the questions that I had for him, <laughs> we weren't going to get um, that far. Um, but anyway, that was a joy, actually. Uh, always been a fan of Spurrier, and so I appreciate uh, that a lot. All right, up next, John Kime will jump on with us right after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This segment of the show is presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com. Use my promo code KevinDC and MyBookie will do something most books don't allow you to do, which is cash in and cash out quickly. All you have to do is wager your deposit amount one time and you're eligible to cash out. Perfect for the NBA playoffs, which got underway Last night, by the way, I gave out uh, gave out two winners. Both of the underdogs uh, covered. I like Chicago tonight, by the way, plus the points. Um, but go to mybookie.ag. You have to use my promo code, KevinDC, to get the benefit that they're offering, which is the ability to cash out quickly. Joining me on the podcast right now, I'm actually so glad that John Kime is jumping on with me right now because... 
I just had Steve Spurrier on the podcast. He's in town for the D.C. Touchdown Awards dinner tomorrow night. And you covered Spurrier, and you've had many conversations with Spurrier over the years. And I have to tell you that, you know, I've always loved Spurrier. I've always been a fan of Spurrier. I loved watching and rooted for the South Carolina teams after he left here, wanted him to do well. But there was a definite reluctance, John, for him to go down memory lane and talk about his two years here, which I totally respect. You know, he doesn't want, you know, he said enough, but really tried not to say much. And he was uncomfortable. Like he didn't want to go down that path. But you covered Spurrier. I look, I enjoyed this 17, 18 minutes, or whatever it is I just did with him. Um, but it was interesting. But I know you've talked to him, you know, in, in the past, and I don't know how recently, but it was interesting. Interesting. Well, he's interesting, and I also think part of it for him is it's the one blip on his coaching resume, <laughs> yeah. you know, where he does not have where he did not have success, and it was bad. I mean, you could tell. I like Spurrier. Like I thought he was a good person, and I thought he was a, as as honest as you could be in this profession. Um, so I like that about him. He was entertaining. But I also remember being at a dinner party in early, like after two games, two or three games in his first year. And somebody at the party asked me, like, well, how's it going to go? I said, it's going to be a disaster. He's like, really? You can tell that after three games? Like, yes. It was just so obvious that he was not cut out to coach in the NFL or not to co- not cut out to coach in the NFL in Washington where you had Vinny Serrato and the, you know, as, right. as the top football guy. And a, and, a, and a team owned by Dan Snyder. It was not a good combination. I know, like, Ron Wolf loved him, and I think even after he failed here, I, I remember seeing something from Ron Wolf where he said he would have, maybe I even talked to him about it, that he said he would have hired him even after this experience because he still felt he could coach in the NFL. And if you had the right support system, he did not have that here. But he was, I mean, my gosh, Kevin, like, you know, there are a lot of times, and every once in a while, even my podcast or on other shows, like, I enjoy talking. I enjoy. I think it's just one Spurrier story leads to another. Yes. Right. And it just like to highlight what, like, how did this guy? I remember. I remember talking to one of his assistant coaches when the news came over that he had resigned, <laughs> and he was on the golf course when he resigned, right. or at least when the resignation letter came through. Right. And I was talking to the coach, and I was like, I said, I got to be honest. I said, I don't know, after being around him, how did this guy succeed in college? And the coach said, I was just asking my wife, I was telling my wife the same thing. And But you know that it's a different thing in college. But it was more, you know, it just, you, you know, it was, gosh, there's so much. Like, I don't even know where to start, but, you know, the, the quarterback she saw could win here and, and um, you know, Danny Werfel and, you know, Shane Matthews and guys like that, like, it just, you know, they didn't, they drafted Patrick Ramsey. He never met Patrick Ramsey before they drafted him. <laughs> I know. And that's not, that's not his fault, yeah. but it's, that's a, that's a support system that failed him. So, you know, I think if, you know, I mean, there, I'm going to just, I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but it's like I said, one, once you start going down the road, there was one time where, where 
Back in the day, the press used to be, the media used to be inside the building. And so you'd walk in, it's the first room to the right. right. There are cubicles in there. There's a little bathroom in there, a little kitchenette, and then your TV set up. So we're there for the draft. And, and again, Spurrier was a, was a good guy to talk to, like a genuinely good guy. And but but like we're sitting there watching the draft and he's in he's like poking his head in talking to us. He looks up at the TV, says, "Oh, we're on the clock. I better go." <laughs> he wasn't, in the, he yeah. wasn't in the draft room when this was going on. And so like it's things like that where you see that enough when you say like you're just not cut out for the NFL. In college, you could make you could recruit well and get mismatches, and then your offense really worked because it exploited mismatches and. But in the NFL, it was, I don't think he ever understood. They played Pittsburgh after the Osaka game. So they have this, you know, they score a lot of points in Osaka, but most of it was like in the third and the fourth quarter, so not with the starters. So the starters played, they played Pittsburgh the next week at FedEx, and the starters were bad. But the, the third and fourth stringers had a rally in the fourth quarter to win the game. Well, in the press conference, all the questions are about, you know, hey, your starters, are you concerned? He's like, he snapped, eventually snapped and said, we just came back with this great comeback to win the game, and all you guys are doing is talking about the first yeah. quarter. Yeah. I don't think he understood some of this stuff, and that's where the hard part was for him. So that's a long answer, and I got more. But- no, well, that you know, part of the um, discussion was about Osaka. And, you know, he said, well, they, you know, they played the varsity and, and uh, they were playing the junior varsity and we, we got the varsity right. in the regular season. And because and, I kind of asked him if, you know, he knew that the first preseason game was going to be different. You know, remember, they played San Francisco that year in like week three and right. lost right. 20 to 10. And as he said, you know, well, they played the varsity in that game. Um, no, there was clearly uh, not an understanding of how it worked, you know, through his reluctance to say much about his time here, I think, uh, and I'm going to have to go back and listen to this again, and everybody that's listening to you with me right now, just listen to Spurrier, but there was some clear, you know, indication of, look, he thought he was getting into something that turned out to be much different. He thought Correct. Bobby Bethard was going to be the general manager. Correct. And, Correct. And, and, Correct. and Dan, and it turned out that, you know, Dan was essentially the chief personnel decision maker. And, and this isn't what he signed up for. But, you know, he did this thing where he said part of the, you know, I, I don't want to pass the buck because some of the blame falls on me too and I didn't get it done. But he talked about, it's funny, you know, he talked about, look, as a professional coach, you know, I won in Tampa Bay in the USFL and I won with the Orlando Apostles in whatever league that was. (laughs) I mean, there's still, he is, he's a competitor at his core and he wants people, you know, to know what a great coach he was despite the one blip on his coaching record, which was the two years here. And well, I, here, listen. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. No, go ahead. But like, how many coaches? No coach hired by Dan Snyder finished with a winning. Exactly. Record. I pointed that out. So we so, know so, why it yeah, didn't work so, like, here for him. Right. And and that's now. I will say, like, he needed where I felt there was going to be some problems, and I think like you can always get a good feel on the initial press conference what a coach, what it's going to be like. <clears throat> like for example, when Marty Schottenheimer came here. And I just remember him talking about how, like, 
he knew the roster. Like, he knew, like, they've got these two tackles, and you can build around the tackles, and he's talking about these guys they have. And, like, and then you just feel like, you know, I mean, even, like, if you played any level of football at the end of it, you're like, shit, I'm going to play. I want to play for this guy. Because you just felt that passion that he had. With Gibbs, you felt the aura. And, like, wow, this is why this guy is it. With Spurrier gets in there, he didn't know anybody on the roster. It was just like I'm. Just, I want to come see if my offense can work, and but I don't. He didn't know anybody. And like, well, he's not in jail, is he? He's not in jail, is he? <laughs> Who was that? Why am I blanking on him? Oh, oh no, I can't remember that one. It was um, the I Oakland. Oh, Russell, Russell, something Russell. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Jamarcus Russell. Um, it was a defense. It was an offensive or a defensive lineman. Whatever, Daryl Russell. Was it Daryl yeah. Russell? Oh yeah, I th- I think I. Th- I, I would have to double check. Yeah. I'd have to double, yeah. Uh, yeah. And but like there were times in the draft press conferences, they. they it was Daryl Russell, by the way. It was Daryl okay. Russell, by there the way. Go. Okay, good. He passed away in two thousand five, just two years after right. playing in Washington. Um, but I forgot about that story. But what 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 happened with Spurrier? He'd go. We'd be in the press conference after the draft, and he'd have to like after they'd make a pick, they'd bring out the coach to talk to us, and you know, after each pick. And they remember they drafted like Bobby Roy, Robert Royal, tight end. Yeah. And like he would, in order to inform <laughs> us about him, like he was learning about him as we did. Right. He was he would read off the guy's stats and like, well, Bobby Royal, well, he only had so many chances. Uh, must not be much of a pass catcher. Yeah, I remember that. Not know this. Yeah. Yeah, and so it was like that with with everybody. Well. And that's where I, that's where that's where a strong GM could have said like. Either you don't put him out there for that and don't embarrass it because that, that looks bad, or you put him in a position where it's like, Steve, you got to know more than this. Right. And you know what I mean? And just guide him better. And that's something that just didn't happen here. And you knew that he was done here after they cut. It was Kenny Watson and Danny Werfel. And he, once they cut him, you, you could see his soul just departed. Yeah. And that was early in the second year, and that was it. And you knew that would be the last year. Yeah, they, look, he was a, I would say this like he was a good guy. The other problem that he had is he hired too many college coaches who didn't know what they were doing. Right. Plus, and, he hired he brought in a lot was, of his Gators, you know. And he, I correct. asked him about that, and do you regret that? And he said, "Well, probably in hindsight, I can't remember specifically. I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. you know, they knew the system, the whole thing. But remember, I mean, not a good idea. See, um, there was there there was a bunch of stuff that I wanted to get to that I just I I couldn't because he just it was, was very guy, clear. Though that this was the last thing that, for whatever reason, he expected to talk about or wanted to talk about. So I guess guess at the end of the day, you know, there was only so much, um, you know, what's the saying, Uh, blood you're going to get from a stone. But whatever. Uh, um, When Marty was run out of here, it was because, and Dan admitted this, he wasn't having enough fun. He wanted to be involved. And so... You know, the, he hired a coach. He gave him a boatload of money, and he really was dishonest with with uh, Spurrier about Bobby Bethard because, really, at the end of the day, Snyder didn't want Bethard here. You know, I, I remember talking to Bobby about this and all of the times that we had Bobby on the show, and Bobby said, yeah, you know, we were close, but it wasn't really a place for me. I mean, you know, specifically well, saying, yeah. yeah, that, that they, they, it was not somebody that he wanted to work for. And Dan, and, and Dan didn't really, you know, it was more of a press release to get people excited about maybe Bobby Bethard, but he didn't want Bobby here. He wanted to be involved. 
Right. And I, the other thing with Bobby that I remember, because I remember talking to him at that time. And, you know, it's funny because I asked him this several years later. He said, no, it wasn't really about that. But I'd like, well, I remember you telling me this, that now this wasn't necessarily the reason that he didn't turn it down, because I, I think there were other factors. But one of it, he felt like Dan wanted more of someone to be, you know, his go out buddy versus he's like, I just want to do my job and go home. And you know what I mean? And so he didn't want to do all the other stuff. And now I don't know that that was the, the main reason. I don't think I don't think it was the main reason, but it was something that he brought up to me. And um, you know, but I think there are I think there are other factors involved with the money or and, and some of the other stuff. Yeah, but, he yeah, always think, he always like, said to me he always said to me, you know, ultimately I considered it, but it was really not a situation that I thought was conducive right, for me to be right. successful. And, you know, and that, that's essentially what it was. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And but yeah, but it would have helped Spurrier a ton because oh yeah, just because you know then you know again Ron Wolf even after it said that's still a guy I would hire because he just felt he was a really good offensive mind. But you know that but then you know he like you'd hear these stories from Rex Grossman when he was at Florida, and um, he would say like he said there was one time that they're at Florida spring practice. And Spurrier comes, they will get on the field just getting ready for practice. And the golf course was nearby. And Spurrier <laughs> comes zipping over on a golf cart. Right. And they, you know, Boys, we're canceling practice today. And he just zips off on the golf cart. And that was it. So, But is that Florida? You can do that. And, you know, there would be times where I don't, I don't, like he would always say, like, I don't understand when these guys work all these 90-hour weeks. Remember, he kind of pissed off Jim Hazlitt about that. Yeah. Like, you know, Hazlitt's doing this and Hazlitt. Hazlitt's doing this and they're not winning. And, and it's, you know, and I always, like, I kind of always welcome that because I think sometimes these, co- you know, there, with coaches, there is a, this guy's working 100 hour weeks, well, I'm going to work 101. And it becomes something that it doesn't need to be. You know, is, is there, a, uh, you know, paralysis by analysis almost, or, or, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, remember, Spurrier like, coached from inside when it was too cold and it was sleeting one day. Yeah. yeah, well, that that was that was Trey Johnson talked about that. And he yeah, said that they were going outside him, and he and he's like, "Get back in, get back in." I don't know what this is. And Marvin Lewis said, basically, told him, "Get the hell out, get out there, get your asses out there." And but yeah. with um, but yeah, but with with um, you know, it, it, there was just there was just right. a lot with him. Oh, and we we we'd be we'd be sitting in the press room, and it would be like six or seven on Thursday. He's going to play nine, and we're sitting there working. I'm like, "What's wrong with this?" Oh well, I mean, there was like I said, yeah, yeah. there was the story of, um, you know, they were down. Was it Jacksonville? I think, and he was at the pool just you know a few hours before they were going to leave on the team bus for like a four o'clock game, and he's out the pool, you know, lounging around. Um, Yeah, look, that last season, and I didn't, I didn't bring this up. I had, I had several things on my list to get to, and. You know, it was clear that it was probably best to bail on him. But I remember that final game against the Cowboys in 2003, the final home game when it was sleeting and it was 34 degrees, yeah. and he was he was dressed like a you know like like an he was bundled up like he was an Eskimo over on the bench <laughs> with um what's his face you know who he had turned over play calling to the guy that ended up being the coach for the Browns you know during that 0 and 16 season. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing, the other thing with him. Too, why why um, am I why am I blanking on his name? The the Hugh Jackson, Hugh Jackson. Oh, remember he he turned he said, "Oh, Hugh's going to call me. plays." Well, I think 
I think that was Hugh going to the front office saying, let me call the play. Because there were a couple games where he did that. Yeah. And, and he kind of wrestled that, and they gave him the chance that they let him do that. But there were, if you remember, too, there was a game in Seattle that they won where, like, Kenny Watson and someone else both had over 100 yards. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, but he was like, they won the game. It was like 14 to 6, 14 to 9, something like that. And they only scored 14, but he, he was, was almost despondent. Despondent. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so then the next week they're playing in Jacksonville. The Jaguars have like one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. They just had a game where they had two guys <laughs> run for over 100 yards. I remember that. And they threw the ball 50 times. Do you remember what he said? It was a, Do you remember what he said after the game? It was a beautiful night to pitch and catch. He said, and, He said. You know, I, I noticed all day long teams putting up big uh, uh, yards through the air around the league because wasn't that a, that was a late afternoon yeah. game? And he yeah, said, all the one o'clock games, nice you know, there's lots of big yardage. He said, and it looked like a nice, nice night to pitch and catch. Good day tonight. Yep. It was. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, it was. It was. But it was, they got was and they got crunched I mean, again, in that game. They got killed, and it wasn't. They didn't throw because they were behind. They threw to open the game. He wanted to throw the ball and prove that his offense could work. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, so, I, I yeah. don't know who it was. If it was, it was Werfel or, or Matthews, it was one of the two. I can't remember who was quarterbacking, but. It was one of yeah, uh, yeah. his guys. I think guys. it was Matthews in that game, but yeah, yeah. But it was, yeah, it was one of his guys, and it was yeah, what a joy, it um, was a joy, what a joy. <laughs> All right, uh, let's talk some football. Uh, where are you on the quarterback situation, Sam Howell, Jacoby Brissett, and how this plays out over the next several months into training camp? I think I still think it's Sam Howell's job to lose, but. I think with Jacoby Brissett, there's someone there that can threaten him. So if you're not doing well, then I think it becomes a real competition. But I think if, if, if Sam Howell goes in the spring and the summer and he's showing really good progress the way they hope and building off that last game, then I don't think you're going to have. like It's not going to be a, okay, today Howell gets the first-team reps and Brissett gets the first-team reps the next day. To me, that's a real competition. Or some – Somehow alternating. I, I I do think that they want Howell to win a job because of what he could represent for them, which is a young quarterback they could build around. Whereas if you get Brissett, you're not building around a guy. You're now, you know, if if, if he doesn't beat out Jacoby Brissett, or let, here's the other thing: what if Jacoby Brissett looks really good? I don't know. I mean, he did it. He had a good year last year, but you know, he's got a track record. So if you don't beat him out, where is the state of this? franchise because that's the most important position and how does that look to a new owner like you could go nine and eight with Jacoby Brissett but that doesn't look as good as 10 and seven with Sam Howell you know what I mean and so but I so I do think they want Howell to win the job or they would you know that's the so I think if he goes in there and he's looking good it's going to be his job I don't think there's going to be a competition but if he starts to falter they have a really good option and then I think then you start to see some pressure put on for that job but I go in there thinking that it's Hal's job to lose. But as they say, that he still has to earn it, which is true. But, you know, I don't think – I think if he's looking good, then that's it. I know, but I'm sensing from you, and maybe I'm reading this incorrectly, that you actually kind of agree with me and Tom, and that is 
that it actually is more of a competition than some people believe it will be. That if Jacoby Brissett clearly shows he's ready and he's ready to run their offense and they have a good team around him and they want to win this year and they want to win games, that it's not impossible at all that Jacoby Brissett emerges as the starter by opening day. I don't think that would be impossible at all, but I do think that Howell has to will in that case will not be showing the progress they would have hoped. <clears throat> you know, unless unless Jacoby Brissett just looks like outstanding, it's like, oh my God, this guy is, looks phenomenal. You know, something like that. Short of that, I do think it's on how to lose it. But yeah, I, what I what I have felt too is, you know, they they wanted to bring back Taylor Heineke, and and Heineke was willing to come back. It just you know, didn't didn't work out. But this is a much tougher guy for Howell to beat out. Like, I think the leash is shorter with Jacoby Brissett behind him than it would have been with, with Heineke. Because they know what Heineke can do in this, you know, here. And, and Brissett has a track record, too. But it also, I think Brissett's track record probably fits well with these guys because he doesn't turn the ball over. And, and with the defense that they hope to have in a running game and they do feel like they have enough skill guys, like, he could work pretty well. So they have a really good option if Howell, if Howell struggles. And the other part, Kevin, is, you know, what if, you know, players like Ron tends to listen to them enough where if Brissett is looking really good and Howell's just not picking it up, right? those guys, are yeah. just, you know, he's going to listen to those guys. Yeah. And so I think, so I do, I absolutely see a scenario where Brissett can win the job, but I do think they go in, they would, their preference would be to see Howell win it because it would mean that he has progressed. And, he does have to beat out a better player now. You know, it's funny. We've had three straight coaches here, in Mike, in Jay, and in Ron, who have all said at one point, you can't fool the players. And if you try to, right. you are lost. And so if you put somebody out there at that position at quarterback that the rest of the team believes doesn't give you nearly the chance to win that another guy Correct. does, you can lose the team. Um, Ron said yep. it with Dwayne Haskins early in his rookie season. By the way, you know, for those that don't know this, and I think many do, John grew up in Ohio. He's a Browns. He's a Cleveland Indians slash Guardians, Ohio State, massive Ohio State fan. So you watched Brissett a little bit more, you know, closely than a lot of us. Just a, just a, not I, really. I know I you were covering a team. You're yeah. covering a team, but, but it's hard for me to watch them. Yeah, but I, but I, but you pay attention to that stuff, right? And I hear let me say this. I hear from my son who watches it all religiously. So you, what I knew is that he played well, and right. the offense was better under him than it was under Deshaun Watson for a few reasons. But that he did play well. It was the defense right. that exactly. let him down, not the quarterback. So, yes. and they didn't have now. What they had is a really good run game, but they didn't have the weapons that these guys do. Right. So you know, it's you know. So I think like. It's not inconceivable that that guy is like. It wouldn't shock me at all if he ends up to be the starter, just because I think he's a good option. And if Howell's not ready, then you have this option. But I think for going forward, if you're a new owner, you know how would you? How, and this is what you have to kind of look at. How do you process that? Like if you're if you're Josh Harris, let's say, and and um, <laughs> yeah, let's say that. Let's say and. You know, and it's Jacoby Brissett, and it's like, okay, you got this roster, but are you guys the ones to be able to find the next quarterback? 
You know what I mean? Like if and with Brissett, what is the ceiling with him? Um, and I don't, you know, and I don't know. So I think yeah. I just wonder how all that plays out. Whereas a young quarterback, you can do a lot more with the roster going forward. But yeah, you know, it's actually knows? it's actually a good I, segue for me into. Go ahead. Were you going to finish the thought? No, no, no. I just no. I really didn't have much else. But it, you know, I, I it'll be interesting because how does I think with Heineke again? I think you know Taylor was fine being his backup, and I. I, unless Howell looked really bad, he would have been the starter. With Brissett, I think he has to look good to be the starter. Um, so the I, I did this on radio this morning, um, and, and it's simply put, it's like what kind of season does Ron Rivera have to have to be the head coach and be in his his current role? You know, coach centric Ron in twenty twenty four. Uh, I'll give you my answer, and then I want yours. No, I want your answer first, and then I'll give you mine. What's your answer as to what kind of season? Is there a situation where Ron – by the way, John, th- you know, can, talking about Snyder earlier with Spurrier and the whole thing, remember when Dan acquired the team, Norv Turner was the coach. It was too late to change that, right. even though he tried to undo the Brad Johnson right. trade. Um, and then <laughs> Norv went out and won 10 games, won the division, won a playoff game over Detroit, lost a divisional round game at Tampa by one point, nearly was there in the NFC Championship game against the greatest show on turf, the St. Louis Rams, and Norv was brought back for 2000, and that was with an owner who you know wanted to put his stamp on everything at 34 years old once he bought the team. So... Do you think it's possible Ron could, you know, be back for a fifth year, his fifth contract year? And if so, what does he have to do in 2023 to make that happen? And, you know, this is without, like, talking to enough people in, in a certain group to know exactly what do they, like, what do they think. But in talking to... Are you talking like, about the Josh let's, Harris let's, group? Let's just, let, let's just say, <laughs> let's say it's Josh Harris. And, you know... Um, and right now, again, that's really the, the main name. But like, let's say, let's say, let's for sake of this, like he has a track record of hiring really good people in certain jobs. And like, you know, the Daryl Morey's. I mean, even you know, Doc Rivers was a is a good NBA coach. I mean, people can. I think people, some people might argue that, but he is. I mean, he's got a title. So, um, so how would, how is a guy like that going to process if you go nine and eight? I don't think that's going to cut it. You know, and I think because I think you're also going to have to say like, what 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 do you need to do to generate the enthusiasm here? Is it to bring you know to continue along this path? To me, I think you'd have to win. It, I'd say ten games, but let's say you win nine. But Howell looks really good, and the team is playing really well at the end. And you go in there and you win a playoff game, and there's actually like, oh my gosh, they actually might be pretty good down the road. Maybe something like that. But I think it's going to require. You know, off the top of my head, I would say you win 10 games and you win a playoff game. And you've got to show, the you know, real progress with this roster. And, like, it has to be where the roster, like, okay, you've got a lot of good young draft picks who are paying off. And they've really hit on these guys. Like, do you really want to change? That's what I think it's going to have to take. But I think in some of that is, I think I'd say that even if Dan Snyder were still the owner, I would probably say something like that. Because I think, you know, it's four years now, and – we heard a lot about year three needing to show certain things, and shoot, they were, you know, I mean, I'd say they were close in some games, but they were close that they would have could have lost too. So, 
that stuff evens out. You are what you are, and you're eight, eight, and one. And so, um, but year four, you can't have the eight or nine wins. I think you've got to go beyond that to justify in a new owner's mind who didn't hire you. And he went through this in Carolina with Tepper. Right. You know, they were five and seven, and he got rid of them. And because the new owner is going to want to generate their excitement, and I think like there's no attachment to anybody in this group, anybody. So I think they all need to have a good year because, um, you know, I, I think if you're a new owner, you pay $6 billion or whatever it's going to be, you're going to want to get your people in place unless they make it a no-brainer for you. Like, okay, that's, this is – you know, I also think, Kevin, I think it, some of it's going to depend on how does Ron communicate his message to them the minute that this is over. And when he has his first meeting with them, how does he communicate their vision for the future – and then how does it play out? Because if he's saying, if, if what he tells them is exactly how it plays out during the season, they might say, okay, let's, you know, go in the right direction, see where it's headed. But I think so. There's a lot of things to it. But I would think 10 in a playoff win. What about you? Yeah, mediocre minds uh, think alike. That's exactly my answer. I said <laughs> it's 10-plus wins, it's a playoff win, and it's a quarterback who is ascending, and really that quarterback, right. more likely than not, has to be Sam Howell. And then I think, right. you know, if you're, uh, if you're the new owner, you look at it and you say, well, I mean, am I going to bail? Like, I was looking at Mike Malarkey won a playoff game in Tennessee and then got fired, you know, after a 9-7 and seven season. I don't, th- I don't think like a 9-8 and eight season where they're a 7 seed, you know, I think that that's a whole different dynamic. I think like 10-11 wins, even if you don't win the division, you are contending for it. Worst case, you're like a right. 5 seed and, you know, you win against the 4 seed on the road and then you lose to the 1 seed and, wow, we just, you know, we had a season and by the way we've got right. a young quarterback who we now right. know for sure we can believe in moving forward I think it's possible but I also have injected this into the conversation John in in recent weeks with Tommy and on radio and I did it with Michael Phillips yesterday I think I, I um I've had this sense for a while now but definitely in this off season that Ron is less engaged than ever. You know, whether it was not knowing that his team could be eliminated from the playoffs against Cleveland to, you know, the waffling on answers with respect to the quarterback, with respect to Chase Young, to, you know, talking about Sadiq Charles and Chris Paul and forgetting that Andrew Norwell was even on the roster. I mean, a lot of those things could be in their own, you know, could be just, you know, innocent sort of mistakes. But I think there's a chance that Ron, at his age, with what he's been through since arriving to this shit show hello in Washington of a job that was much more challenging than even he, he thought it would be because of pandemic and personal cancer and, you know, all of the investigations and all of this stuff, you know, most of this stuff having nothing to do with him. I think that, you know, it's very possible that he understands the likelihood that this is his last year and he's okay with it. And in fact, I think there's a chance that, you know, not that he would resign if there was a chance that he would get that fifth year of money, but that, you know, if he was going to be fired, that somehow, you know, he'd be okay with it at the end of next year. I think part of that could be in play. Look, I thought last year that if it didn't work out this in in 2022 
that there was a chance he may call it quits at the end of 2022. But, you know, they were in contention. They had a chance to make the postseason. They went 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. How convenient that they won that final game for him not to have a losing season. So I think some of that's in play in all of this, too. What do you think? I, I don't know. What I know is that in Carolina, he was ready to retire within a few years. I think he had viewed that as like, okay, you coach there a couple more years, and then you retire. So, you know, is he still on that mindset? I think when he came here, I think it energized him to finish, to get somewhere where he hadn't gotten with Carolina. Um, so I don't know. I haven't seen the disengagement part. I know, to be honest, I think the Andrew Norwell thing, I think he was looking at 2023, and I think there's a good chance that Norwell True. won't be part of that. of course, of course. So I think, yes. that's, I think that's part of it. I think the quarterback stuff, um, it's, I think sometimes he trips up himself on some of that, but, you know, I know, like, I've known for a while what they've thought about Howell. So, like, they've been fairly consistent on him. So I don't, but anyways, having said that, like, I, I don't know that I get that sense. It wouldn't shock me if, if you know, um, I do think he wants to, to, I think he does feel good about what they're building here. I will say that. That's been always my sense. And I think, you know, you know, he even told me, and this will be in a story I'll have soon, that he's like, if something happens to me, I feel like the roster is in a good place. So I think he's at peace with his situation because I think he feels good about where this could be going. You know, now so much of the key is on how, but the rest of the roster, I think they feel good about what they're starting to build. So, you know, I think, I think at peace with it maybe is, is accurate just in, in the sense that you can't control it. So, you know, it's hard. You can't worry about it. Right. I mean, you, so I don't know, like, you know, I don't get the sense that um, he's disengaged as much as maybe I think, like you said, maybe he's at peace with what the situation is. That you know, you guys right, have been through this before. I, I'll subscribe and, to and, that and, description. Yeah. I'll subscribe to that description. Yeah. I just, I guess, the gut feel here is that if he's halfway realistic, the odds are that this is going to be his last year coaching, and that he's not oblivious to that fact. Um, no, and. And I will say, along those lines, though, and, and that may be, I will, you know, they haven't made moves to just win now. Do you know what I mean? Like, the moves still are more, like, if you really wanted to win now, you're going to trade, you're going to cut a bunch of guys and create a bunch of space for Lamar Jackson. And you didn't do that. Right? Yeah, but they, they, may, have, they may have done that, John, if the ownership situation was what it was. And they had possibly, the ability but they to also, do that. Like, well, they did, but here's this is a different discussion. So I don't want to go down this road with it. But with with Lamar, it was always like, okay, you're going to have to, you're going to get rid of John Allen, probably. You're going to have, you can't sign Deron Payne. You're going, you know, you have to cut this guy. Yeah, this no, guy, no, no, guy, no, no. Uh, yeah. I'm just saying that so, even if they're – take Lamar out of the equation because there's a lot of reasons not to go out after Lamar. Right. A lot of reasons, right. um, which, by the way, I'd still think that they'd be a hell of a football team with Lamar, but not at the price and et cetera. But I'm just saying that this wasn't an off season where swinging big on a quarterback right. was even an option. That's my only point. No, it really wasn't. Yeah, he was, that's, it wasn't. Right. So, 
you're right. And and like last year, they swung big on a few guys. I yeah. mean, shoot, they scoured the league. They called about Kirk Cousins. <laughs> they called about Andrew Luck. They called, you know, Kyler Murray. Anybody that they thought might be free, they called. I'm like, you're clearly not going to talk to Kansas City about Mahomes. You're not going to get him. But they knew, like, sort of the obvious guys, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, you know, yeah. sort of the obvious guys, they called on everybody. So, you know, and this year, and I will say, like, you know, with Howell, and it's funny because I think Howell, like, there are some guys who felt he was a second, third-round guy, and some guys who felt he's a fourth or fifth-round guy. Um, here they felt he was a second, third-round guy, and some scouts apparently, I know talking to them over there, like, some scouts had him a first, so I know they liked him. But, you know, we still don't know where this guy's going to go. And um, I don't think their enthusiasm for him is fake. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to argue him. with you about this, but yeah. I, to me, don't not argue. But but because I want to get to something else here in a moment, and something okay. you said. But I, I'm not disputing that there were people in the organization that really liked Sam Howell. I think Scott Turner right. liked Sam Howell a lot. Um, but the bottom line is, if they really, really thought that this was a first, second-round guy, then they wouldn't have waited until the fifth round and drafted Percy <laughs> Butler in the fourth round. Well, so, And that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, so you said something, and I think it's really interesting because I agree with you in that if Ron has that feeling like he's done some good things here and he's changed the culture here – I think he deserves credit for a lot of that. You know, one of the things that's been very obvious to me from the jump is Ron doesn't want to coach children. You know, he wants... He wants grown-ups who are committed, and I think that, that that's happened here. Like, the, the culture of the locker room has changed, and I think he deserves a shitload of credit for that, yeah. um, without yeah. question. But what's ironic about that is the whole conversation of, well, we're going to start doing something we've never done before, which is roster building. No, Ron, you've been roster building, and you've done a pretty good job of it. Like, you can actually be proud of, of kind of the job you've done in roster building. This is part of the the, the stuff that, like, if 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 he got that, done with that press yeah, conference, yeah. I would have said, Ron, you were roster building two years ago after you missed on Matt Stafford. You did the roster building speech. And here's the reason you don't have to talk about roster building for the first time, as if it's like this new philosophy. You've been doing it, and you've done it pretty well. You have a pretty good yeah, roster. No, their roster is much better than when he took over. And, you know, I felt um, the drafts have been pretty good. You know, they've missed on some free agent guys, which is why free agency is, is a bit of a hit or a miss. But they have drafted pretty well. And I think, I think it will, you know, it probably would have been, I think if he had come out right away and said for the first time, you know, if he, if he had said for the first time we have a young quarterback that we feel we can build around, that's different than just the roster building, right? And I think, but I, you know, I know, like, because you, you you probe a little bit deeper on it, or just ask them more, like, what had you been? Why are you saying it now for the first time? So because now they have a quarterback that they think moving forward can be the guy for them. So now you can build around that guy. So there's, but that's a little bit different than the for the first time to roster build, because you're right. 
they have been building that out. And and he talked you know, about roster well, my, building being the you know being the philosophy after they swung and missed on Matt Stafford. That you know, right. remember it was a it was a hundred and eighty degrees different. With you know, our philosophy is to build out this roster and then go get the quarterback. But my point right. is, is they've done right. a good job of roster building. They, they, they there's nothing they to <laughs> feel ashamed about. But there Kevin, is. They were eight, yeah. eight. They were eight, eight, and one. And God bless Taylor Heineke. They yeah. were eight, eight, and one yeah. with their quarter. Look at the quarterback. Like their quarterback play has been subpar since Kirk Cousins left. And you know, by and large, Alex Smith was a solid, but his, he was not playing at a level that they needed him to. He was starting to get there, and he was playing at a at a like if they had had Alex Smith last year, that's a good team because of his style of play and what they needed from him. But, you know, but the point is, like, they haven't had, under Rivera especially, they haven't had good quarterback play, and yet they did. They do have yeah. a roster that was able to win yep. the game. Yeah. Why, why is it? They, you know, there's, like, you can look at their skill guys, and, like, I like Brian Robinson. I think he's going to be solid for them. And you like the receivers, and, and – and you like you know, Forrest and Curl this, and you in St. Juice and yes, and, I mean, yeah, yeah, but 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 here is David where I Davis got better. yeah. Here's what what I want to get to next though, and that is, you know, one of the first, if not the first, big decision he made was to draft Chase Young at number two overall. Right. You know, by the way, I I think I talked about this with Tommy yesterday on the pod, um, and I said, you know, really the first big decision he made was. We're going to not do anything at quarterback in this first year in 2020. When I think if he had been more honest with himself or had said to the owner, I'm not a Dwayne Haskins fan, I don't believe that he's the answer, and we've got a chance with the number two overall pick in this draft where we may never draft at this level again to address it, that needs to be the priority. You know, he could have, you know, if he felt that way, he should have, that should have been his first move. But he, you know, whether he felt that way or not, the bottom line is it wasn't his first move and it may have been his first mistake. Clearly wasn't hindsight, but the big decision that he made in the draft was to draft Chase Young at number two overall. And here we are, Jeff Okuda, who was picked after him, one of your Ohio State right. guys, just like Chase Young, yeah. traded, really for a, college, yeah. traded for a fifth rounder. Chase Young is, we're now less than a month away from the decision to pick up the fifth-year option. We've already talked about, you know, he has changed the culture and he wants to coach people who are committed in the way that he believes they should be committed. Do you think they're going to pick up the fifth-year option on Chase Young? I don't. This is a guess. I don't think so, but that's just a guess. And I think part of that, you know, he has talked about health. You know, I know initially when it came out, um, initially where they were like they weren't sure, there was talk about motivation, and I think also the word, other word you hear is commitment and commitment to the program. And I think they want to see that, see all that. And so I think like they're willing to. Uh, I wouldn't shock me if they're willing to roll the dice to see what does he do this year, and and then make a decision going forward. Because you could always, if you you know they they would like to sign Montez Sweat to an extension. Can you really keep all four of those guys on high numbers? I think it'd be hard. So, you know, I think, but if Chase Young goes out and has a really good year, then you're going to want to keep him around. But you can do it on the tag. So, you know, I, so I, 
I think they'll probably let it roll. And also, because then you can see, again, the commitment level, and then you can see, you know, does the play improve? And while he was, you know, like that was a really bad knee injury. And, you know, there was, it was not just the ACL, it was the patellar tendon who ruptured it. That made it a lot more difficult to come back from that. So where's he going to be at next year? And so I think, I, you know, I think they're going to want to collect all as much information as possible on him. Um, so, you know, and like I said, I don't, I haven't, I don't know for sure which one way or another, which way they're going to go, but, you know, I think, if, you know, I would, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't pick it up. And those are the reasons. Yeah. I think the health thing to me at this point is a stretch because Doc Andrews cleared him. Ron talked about how yeah. he was cleared. They all talked about how great they thought he looked physically in the games in which he played at the end of the year. And then he brought it up again recently. I'm not suggesting that maybe there wasn't some setback or there is some concern after looking at the tape or looking at how it reacted or what happened in the offseason. I just personally think that the decision on the fifth-year option has much more to do with something that isn't knee-related. I think the commitment. I think the commitment is the big. Okay, I think the commitment you. is the big thing. Yeah. And I do think. And I do think, though, when you're talking about being healthy right now versus how does it hold up over the next few years? So there are those are you know those are two different things when you have that injury. Right. But also not just that, but your confidence level in the knee when you're on the field. So I think from a health standpoint, it's, it's as much mentally where is he at as, as it is physically because um, you would hear that for a while last year, like in the, as, it got, as we got deeper in the season, that it was more about what can he – his confidence level in the knee. Right. And does that you – know, where is that next yeah. year? So I, think, so I think from a health standpoint, that to me is part of it. Does he, does he look more like – what the guy they drafted, or is he still, or is there still some uncertainty? Because you would see the more he played, there were games where it's like you could see, like, okay, that looks more like him. I thought it, and, I thought it did uh, look like him. I really, yeah, I so, thought I saw the explosiveness that we saw in 2020. Well, listen, I mean, there were some, there were some rushes he had against San Francisco and Trent Williams that were really good, really good, and I think it was, yeah, and there were some backside plays where he got into the play. Chased. Then there were a couple. Yeah, yeah. So I think the, where does how does that progress? But I do think it's as much commitment because they I think they want to see that commitment level yeah. um, match what others are showing, and I think that that's probably a big thing. But um, you know, productivity is always you can see all that. Listen, Deshaun Jackson wasn't coming here in the off season, but guys knew that when he showed up in the season that he was ready and he produced. So you can miss things in the off season. If you produce, and if you're not, then people are going to wonder, like, okay, what's going on here? And so, but yeah, I think that's a big thing. You know, you just reminded me that it was the San Francisco game, which was, I think, his first game. I think it was the yeah. San Francisco game, right? And yeah. he yeah. was yeah. there. Once he got comfortable, there was a play when they were, I think, you know, in the red zone, and he chased down a back, and yeah. he blocked, a, yeah. he deflected a pass, and. I mean, yeah. and I was like, "Wow, he's got that explosion." Um, but yeah, I he's think a talented guy. Yeah, I think it's clear though yeah, that a- look, if we even if we didn't know 
all of the tea leaves going back to the first half of 2021 would tell you that they have been disappointed with kind of everything um, related to, you know, all of the things they'd like to see in a leader and, and, and a committed player. Um, so yeah. we'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. All right. Yep. Last one. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk before the draft, but right now at 16 overall, uh, give me a couple of names, couple of positions. What do you think they're going to do? What are you hearing? So I have been on the O-line thing from the start, and I think I still think that's where they go. Maybe a guy like Darnell Wright, he has he has that quote-unquote position versatility because he can play guard, he can play either tackle. He's played both tackles, uh, right? Didn't he play both tackles right. in Tennessee? Yeah, He did, he did. And I think there's a feeling that he could also play guard. So, you know, and you could you could slide him into left guard. I know you know what, I know what they say about Sadiq Charles and, and Chris Paul, but, um, you know, Charles doesn't stay healthy. So, like, they know that as well. So that's the hard part there. So I could see... A guy like that, cornerback is the other spot um, that I would see. Now the question then becomes, you know, if you start to feel like there's going to be a run on either of those positions, do you then, how do you react? And um, I think in an ideal situation, they probably trade back, pick up another second or third rounder, um, and then and still address one of those spots. I mean, there's, you know, the guard Osiris Torrance is an interesting guy, but I don't think you take him at 16. You know, the corners are a very interesting class, and it could be a guy like, I mean, shoot, I know, I know Fred Smoot loves Emmanuel Forbes, and I think, I think he'd be a good fit just because mm-hmm. of his ability to, to turn the ball, you know, to take the ball away. You know, I don't know that poor Joey Porter, I don't know that he'd be the guy. Um, you know, I, I mean, he's definitely a press corner, and I, in this defense, you've got to be able to play press and off you know, off man and zone and zone match. And so there's a, there's a different skill sets. And I think, you know, ideally you find someone who takes the ball away. So, um, you know, it'll be, I think that's, those are the two spots that I go back to. Like I, I just, cause it, the draft is good in those areas and there'll be guys when they pick, whether like, does a Paris Johnson fall to 16, you know, um, one of those guys could slide there. Um, which corner slides are Deontay Banks from Maryland? I mean, he's a physical corner and, you know, but he doesn't, he has some ball awareness skills that, that was the knock on him, according to the scouts. So, you know, I think, but I think those are the spots. And the question though, Kevin, is that you can, or the thing is you could find those positions after the first round right. as well. Yeah. And so like that is why, you know, so is there going to be somebody who falls to 16? Who you say you can't pass them up, whether whatever position it is. But I do think, in an ideal world for them, it goes O line and corner, and then it's like you know, does somebody fall there? Whether you know, I'm not big on the tight end in the first round because I think there's really good value throughout, and I don't know that you have to do that. But what if there's a if there's a guy that you love and you just expect it, then that's the surprise. But otherwise, I think O line, you know, specifically tackle, and then. Um, corner yeah I mean you know one of the things that could happen and I've talked about it a little bit is what if the best player on the board at 16 is a pass rusher you know what if it's 
you know, yeah. what, what what if it's the kid from Iowa, um, you know, and, and he they've got yeah. him rated higher than anybody else. Yeah. No, I, no. I don't think I that that's out of, you know, Lucas Van Ness. I don't think that yeah. that's completely out of the question. Um, do you think, I don't either. Do you think a trade, all. do you think a trade down and a Hendon hooker is a possibility? I think I'd have a hard time believing that in the first round. I think he's a guy that I just think that he, they'd probably be more comfortable with him in the late. Let's say if they picked up a second second round pick. The question is, would he be there? Now, I know that some people are putting him in the first, but it seems like they're doing that because of the, well, then you can control him for five years versus four. But I think the value of him with his knee injury I don't know, like, when is he going to be ready? If he's not ready, if he's not, like, cleared, cleared until September, he's not ready to play, you know? So, like, are you really going to take a guy like that in the first round? And he's coming from an offense that was considered quarterback friendly. And, um, you know, um, some people point to what his backup did in the bowl game after he got hurt as, like, okay, that's a good system for a quarterback. So how much – and he's a, he was a good quarterback, there's no doubt, but – there's a lot for him to learn. So I, I have a hard time believing in the first round that you would do that. But I think if you picked up a second, second round pick, you could do that. I mean, what would it say? What it would, what would it say about? Well, then everything we just said, everything I just said about how exactly out the window. Okay, good. I'm, but, gl- I'm, but gl- I'm glad you that, see that the, yeah, no. the, the, the conflict there. If, if, you know, everything they've been talking about, everything that you've said, everything others say, if they take a quarterback in the first or second round, well, then they're not sure, which by the way, I think is the real answer here. I do. Right. And listen, I think, I think it's, you know, I, there are a lot of things I like about Sam Howell. I mean, I really do. Like, when you watch that game, it's still one game. We're still only talking 19 passes. But there are things that you can like, and you can say, like, if, yep. if he builds on this, if he can do this. So there's a lot. But I would also say, like, this is a franchise that has been searching and searching and searching for an answer at quarterback for decades, for a long time. You don't stop that because of 19 passes. If you find a guy that you just say, like, we didn't think this guy would be here, and I love this kid, then take him, you know, and then figure it out. But I also, like, if, if you take Hooker, let's say, let's say they pick up a second, second-round pick, and they take Hooker. Well, again, I don't think he's ready this year. So now you have a chance to see what Howell can do and if he really is the guy. And if he's not, then you have another guy that you can start to groom. And if he is... Then you have a guy like maybe he's just a good backup, or maybe he becomes, you know, I don't. He's not the same style as Jalen Hurts, but maybe he's your, your version of Jalen Hurts, where it's like, all right, you know, you got him the second round, but maybe you parlay him into a different draft pick, right? I don't know, but um, I just don't think when you haven't had that quarterback for so long yeah. that that you just give up on the position. I'm looking for that. So and but I but I don't think in the first round he'd be that guy. I but. Um, you know, I mean, I've been surprised before, but I would be surprised by that. John underscore Kime on Twitter. Uh, he's one of my favorite people to have conversations with about this football team and other things, uh, which we don't usually bring to the podcast, but we have conversations about <laughs> other things privately. And he is the best. Uh, I will be back. Uh, thank you, John. Appreciate it as always. My pleasure. I'll be back tomorrow. Always enjoy. I'll be back tomorrow with Tommy.